You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible. Today, under the coronavirus quarantines and lockdowns, most of us are working from home. This transition to a virtual world has blurred the lines between professional and personal life in more ways than one. Let's say you're on a company computer. You've been working all day, right from your kitchen table, and it's past dinner time now. You have a few hours to go before you can wrap up this project. But you want to take a quick break. You decide to do some online shopping. You browse through a couple sites, saving the few pieces of clothing you like. Maybe you listen to some music as you browse. All of this happens on a computer that technically doesn't belong to you. And it's very possible that after you get back to work and wrap up that project and even start on the next one, your employers could log into your computer. They could see what stores you'd visited that night at your kitchen table, what music you streamed. They could do all of that, and you'd have no idea. We've all heard some of the scarier versions of Big Brother, too. Companies installing technology in their employees' chairs that tracks how long they spend at their desks each day. Required employee tracking bracelets, which record how many minutes you spend on your lunch break. Though the pandemic has isolated us in so many ways, that doesn't mean we're entirely alone. In fact, some of us are being watched like never before. The most sinister of of what we've seen is the kind of work-from-home surveillance. Are people going to be working from home or kind of, you know, slacking from home? The shift to working from home means that many of those forms of surveillance, which perhaps we have taken for granted while we're at work, are now reaching into our home. Another to let your boss into your house and into your kitchen and bedroom and watch you as you work. Today, Daryl West invites attorney John Ella to the podcast to discuss the implications of our new reality and what future protections for employees ought to look like. Thanks for joining our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. I'm Daryl West, Vice President of Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution and co-author with Brookings President John Allen of a new book about AI entitled Turning Point, Policymaking in the Era of Artificial Intelligence. Companies have considerable legal authority to use technology to surveil employees. They can use keylogger software on business computers that track typing, deploy video surveillance cameras, monitor worker attentiveness, track physical movements through geolocation software, compile lists of visited websites and applications, monitor email, social media posts, and collaboration tools, and compile productivity data on how workers are spending their time. With more people working remotely at home due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the boundary between business and personal activities has blurred because people are spending considerable time on company equipment and business video calls, including in the evenings and on weekends. These developments raise important concerns for company workers and highlight the need for stronger protections of employees at the state and national levels. Recently, I posted a Brookings Tech Tank blog post entitled, How Employers Use Technology to Surveil Employees. It looked at the scope of tech deployments and ways to protect worker privacy. I discussed the need for better worker notifications, clarification of workplace rules, 
when uh, employees are working from home, clear rules on data sharing and limits on storage time, and stronger norms against workplace surveillance. And you can read that on our Tech Tank blog at brookings.edu. To discuss these issues, we are pleased to be joined by John Ellen. He is an attorney from Minneapolis who specializes in employment and business law. Uh, John is the author of Executive Employment Law, a handbook for Minnesota executives, as well as over 100 articles or book chapters for legal publications. He lectures on issues regarding workplace privacy and employee monitoring. So, John, welcome to our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. Hi, thanks, Daryl. I read once in the New York Times that it was an article called The End of Privacy and that 5,000 years ago, people lived in villages. There was no privacy and then cities were invented and one could be anonymous. And then the internet came and now privacy is dead again. But when it comes to employers monitoring employees, I mean, I think before the Industrial Revolution, you know, serfs working in the fields, they didn't have any rights or privacy. With the Industrial Revolution, it was mostly a goods economy, and bosses could watch you or listen to you, but I think they were more interested in inspecting output and quality. As we shifted to a service economy in the 1950s, if you think of like Mad Men, there wasn't much technology-wise that bosses could do other than still just watch and listen and maybe talk to coworkers or tattletales. But starting in the second half of the 20th century, this idea of watching and listening became possible with audio, audio and visual recording. And, and these two concepts, you know, we're kind of used today to video and audio always being the same. But from a legal standpoint, they're really different. Wiretap laws can govern audio recording, but not visual. And video recording is not allowed in places like dressing rooms and bathrooms, but perhaps audio recording might not be as much of an issue. So that's kind of where things were at the end of the 20th century. In this century, roughly, you know, 21 years in, we've seen a complete explosion in the new kinds of monitoring that employers can do on your computer. And like you said, this includes a lot. What you type, what you view, what websites you go to, what you say, maybe what you say on Zoom, what you save, what you copy, what you print, what you download, whether you're actually at your computer. So potentially everything can be monitored from a technical standpoint. There are not just dozens, but I would say hundreds of companies and products out there. If you search for how can I monitor my employees, you'll get just dozens and dozens of hits on different software technologies and spyware that can be used to monitor your employees on your own systems without them being aware. Well, all those are great examples. Uh, so it raises the logical question, why are employers monitoring their workers? Well, there's two obvious reasons that are often provided. The two main reasons are security and productivity. So security actually has a lot of subcomponents like you can protect against your own employees embezzling, so corporate theft, fraud, or stealing from customers. Also protecting your confidential information, trade secrets, protecting against 
employees being involved in data breaches or selling personal information, downloading improper software. There's also, in theory, protection against bad behavior by employees with regard to other employees like sexual harassment or improper behavior of any kind. And many industries are required to monitor their employees. Financial sector is a big one. Healthcare providers have to, at a minimum, protect and monitor access to health and medical records. So there really are plenty of legitimate reasons to monitor and record online activity of employees. The productivity argument, I think, is a somewhat weaker justification. It's it it's, seems obvious, perhaps, to a business owner, but I really think that too much monitoring can suppress employee morale and destroy the the trust between employer and employee. It can kind of squelch innovation and maybe lead to burnout. You know, the best measure of productivity really is results, and over monitored employees, of course, it depends on the industry may not be the best employees so i think that that productivity issue you know if i can just mention a point you made we're roughly a year and 10 months into this pandemic and we learned something amazing which is a surprising percentage of the american working population roughly roughly half were able to work from home using a computer and so this is really the same chunk of the workforce, about half, that can be monitored through their computers. And again, companies and, and uh, managers, I think, get a little nervous when folks are working from home because they can't see them. And so there's an even more, you know, I've, I've seen anecdotal suggestions that monitoring has jumped during this pandemic because employers are concerned about employees not working or not working as efficiently. So those are the two main justifications. And, and and just quickly, by the way, there's another type of monitoring I forgot to mention, which is sort of geolocation or location, literally, GPS. And that could apply to a different sector of employees who are in vehicles or out in the world and um, tracking their movement. It used to be a Originally, the issue came up with GPS devices affixed to, to trucks and vehicles, but now you could just track with an employer-issued phone, and that raises concerns as well. Now, those are all great points. And on the pandemic, I mean, I do have the sense uh, that, you know, the lines between personal and uh, work life have blurred, and people are not aware if they're working at home on company devices, that companies can still monitor them even though they're outside the workplace. So uh, that's a really important uh, point. On the monitoring activities, which uh, ones do you think are most problematic right now? I guess the starting point is it can be very upsetting, right? Emotionally to find out, especially if you didn't know ahead of time if you weren't provided notice that you're going to be monitored and then you find out in an embarrassing or abrupt manner, it's, it's just literally invasive. And we'll talk about the law, I think, in a minute, but theoretically, employers can monitor without telling you, and then all of a sudden, 
confront you with activity that you thought was private. And so, like I said, that's, that can be upsetting. And as I also said, it can be demoralizing. But if I think a large chunk of the workforce, you know, many American employees, if they are told up front that they're going to be tracked or recorded, may, may be just fine with that. One concern, too, is that if the employer is monitoring and, and saving this data, it is like any other data subject to a potential breach, right? And so that's a concern, too, is not just, well, my company's monitoring me, but who at the company is monitoring it? Is that manager going to share it with someone else? you know, for an improper purpose, or is an outside hacker going to get in and see my vacation photos or worse? So, you know, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of concerns sort of just from a invasion of privacy standpoint. I think there's also a concern when you talk about monitoring, there's, an, there's another aspect to monitoring, which is, well, let's just take not to pick on Amazon, but let's just take an Amazon warehouse, for example. It's been really well documented and and journalists have gone in to work at these facilities. Warehouses use really sophisticated devices, and it could be devices on the you know on a tablet or on the on the the skid lift or a device or a badge, all kinds of different ways or or scanning guns for them to track literally exactly what you're doing. Each box that you pick, each product that you move, where in the warehouse you are. And I think taken to its extreme, this just creates stress because the efficiency goals, you know, I think they dial it up to what's barely possible and it, it just relates to burnout and it takes away that human aspect of being able to take a break. You know, back in the day, people took smoke breaks or they stood around the water cooler and that's been squeezed away with this with technology so that people are being treated like robots but they're not so you know taken to an extreme i think that is a i would say a negative implication for american workers and and we'll have to see where it goes so i know there's a lot of variation from state to state in employment law but are there common problems that exist in most states and are there particular states that you think have been most constructive in terms of worker protections? Well, there is quite a bit of variation when it comes to employment law among the states. The challenges, I think, are exactly the same. And we didn't mention sort of the challenges for employers, but one of the challenges is compliance and, and liability, right? So. Honestly, most states haven't touched this at all, and, and of course, some have. And not surprisingly, California is, is a leader, and the California Consumer Privacy Act, which is primarily meant to protect consumers or govern companies' use of, of personal information, regardless who it belongs to, but also including employees, so California is is probably in the lead. Two smaller states, at least geographically, Connecticut and Delaware, have had laws on the books for several years requiring employers to provide notice to employees if they're going to monitor emails or internet use. And 
like I said, it's been a while since those laws have been passed, and I have not seen any momentum uh, with other states to adopt similar legislation. And I think it, you know, I, I, I'm sort of agnostic here between employees and employers, I, uh, but I think it's a logical step to consider for state legislatures to simply require notice. I mean, I think that's a minimum expectation as we navigate this very confusing blurring between working from home, working online, and having some kind of private space in your life. So, you know, and we can talk about the common law as well, but the this state action on this has been minimal. There's a few states that have prohibited implanting microchips, about three. There's a few states that have regulated GPS activity, but usually not if it's a company vehicle. There's state laws like in Illinois on, on requiring biometric information, but I would really consider this nibbling at the edges. And, you know, we can talk at some point here about the, about the common law backdrop that would exist in any of these states, which is not it's not a law in the books. It's not legislation. It's the it's the common law of privacy that can be invoked in court if you meet you know if you meet the elements. So, are there any legal limits to employee monitoring? So, yes, surprisingly few, and for probably two reasons. The biggest reason is companies have a right to regulate and control and monitor the use of their own systems. And, and this is the problem. Certainly, if an employer provides a laptop and if it's ABC company, gives you, assigns you an e email address of, you know, Jane Smith at abc.com, they control that email. They control that laptop they own that laptop and they own the system or the server where the information is stored or through which it's transmitted. And that's, you know, that's just a fact that, that, that our legal system accepts. And I think that the fact that employers can view your emails, even if you're emailing your spouse has been almost universally accepted, not just by the courts, but almost by the American workforce you know, over the past at least 10, 15 years. We'll talk about, you know, in a minute here, let's talk about what happens when an employee uses a, an employer-owned computer to go on, on the web and or go on the internet and access the cloud-based account. That's a different story. But in terms of limits, one, one factor is that the systems or computers or phone if they're owned by the company, are property of the company, and they have a property right to access that, and perhaps a duty to as well. The second reason is that privacy is something that can be waived. If you get consent from an employee, you can do just about anything. I mean, I don't want to be simplistic, but consent goes a long way. And the problem with consent in the employer-employee relationship, of course, is that a lot of employees don't have bargaining power to say no. And we can talk about unions if you'd like. But those are the two main reasons that there's there's probably less legal limits on employee 
employer monitoring of employee activity than the listeners might think. There is, there is one federal law, the Stored Communications Act, that has been you know, kind of hauled into use to fill a gap, perhaps, and then there is the common law back, you know, backdrop that kind of provides a limit on, let's say, outrageous behavior. So you mentioned this issue of employees using company computers to access cloud-based accounts or applications. Could you talk a little bit about that and what the situation is there? Absolutely. So, again, there's almost no federal legislation regarding employee privacy. I mean, virtually none. There's something on genetic information, the uh, GINA Act, but, but almost nothing. But so another history lesson back in 1968, you know, you can imagine like Dragnet, they passed a wiretap, Congress passed a wiretap act. All right, fast forward 1986, Reagan years, they amended and, and passed the Electronic Communications Privacy Act. And as part, and as sort of a sub part of that, and, and that's, again, that's mostly governs wiretapping, which is intercepting communications, if you imagine the FBI agent in the van with the headphones, you know, intercepting conversations as they occur. So there's, but there's a little bit subsection to that on stored communications. Remember, this is the mid 80s. So this is the only law we have to work with. But it says you can't access stored communication, electronically stored communications of another party without consent. All right. So courts have said that if you go into an employee's email, username and password, and go in to check their email on, on their personal web-based, cloud-based gmail.com account, that that can be a violation of the Stored Communications Act. And it makes sense. Now, emails are almost never even read by the intended recipient in sort of real time. It's, a, it's stored data that is accessed. And so this kind of, I don't want to say obscure, but this federal act from the Reagan years has been bootstrapped into use in the 21st century to say, well, let me back up. I call it sort of the bright line rule, which is my interpretation of cases like the, like the GF Fisher case that you mentioned in your blog post. It's a perfect example. And of course I say bright line, but it's pretty fuzzy. If, if an employer goes into an employee's computer and looks at the emails on the, on the employer system, abc.com, that is completely allowed and not a violation of the Stored Communication Act, even if it's done without notice or permission or anything, right? But what happens, what does happen for, for many different, in different, different ways is that an employer or a manager takes the laptop, that's what happened in this GF Fisher case, mid-level manager takes the laptop that's used by the employee installs key logging software you mentioned this and it literally so this is just one example but it literally tracks each keystroke and if if someone as this individual did on a lunch break takes her work laptop goes into her bank types in her username and password and the website a key logging record will show everything you need to know to access that bank account. And she did the same thing for her personal email. So the manager, again, this wasn't like the owner, this is like the regional manager, went in and looked at her emails and looked at her 
bank account. And she found out and she complained and she was fired and she said, this is retaliation. And she, in that case, you know, the, technically the legal result was a motion to dismiss was denied, but her, her, she made a claim under the Stored Communications Act. And so to me, counseling employers, the bright line is, sure, go in and look at what your employee did on your computer in your systems. But if you find out somehow a username and password for their personal account, don't go there. That's the bright line. And it's a good one, I think. And we'll get to what, you know, employees can do to protect themselves. Now it gets fuzzy. A lot of folks have like an auto fill. So you take the employee, you can walk in and you can say, give me your laptop that belongs to the company. All right, here it is. You, you turn it on and you might go to American bank and it might just auto populate and, and take you to the account. Or sometimes they just store their passwords. There's a lot of way, or sometimes I've had this, the client, walks in and sees it, it's just literally on the screen or they left the window open. Can the employer, if the window's open, can they look at it? I, maybe, right? You know, these are the kind of legal questions that judges have to wrestle with. Some of those practices are very uh, troubling and I hope we can uh, make some uh, progress on those issues. So we do have a new uh, president. What are your expectations about the Biden administration in terms of worker surveillance? Are there particular actions uh, you expect them to take or things you would like them to undertake? Yeah, good question. I mean, the new president's obviously got a lot on his plate. I haven't seen that this specific issue of workplace monitoring has been a key you know, issue on, on the Biden administration's platform. But you could expect to see some changes. Now, I would not obviously expect anything from from Congress in terms of major legislation. They're not really, I mean, that's just, you know, you're in Washington, I think, you know, that it's hard for them to literally get anything done. You might see a federal privacy law, but that, it, if it's called that, what it really relates to is a federal standard for data breach. And, and that makes sense because we're dealing with about 50 different state laws right now. But that's really a different issue. It's related, but it's a different issue. But I think there are things the Biden administration could do, should do, and might do. And, and these are actions that the executive branch can take pretty much on its own. And there's two agencies in particular that I would think might be affected one is the National Labor Relations Board. Now that that can move a little slowly because you have to appoint new board members and the NLRB's position on various issues kind of flip-flops between the two parties having control of the White House. But eventually you could see the NLRB supporting union activities to protect employees from these kinds of intrusive monitoring and and that so that's one area to really look at another is the OFCCP and that's the office of federal contract compliance programs and th this is a place where the government has the executive branch has a lot of discretion to require any employer any company that has a federal contract over a certain amount 
has to they can they can impose re, uh, requirements for employment laws and it's kind of an experimental place for more let's say aggressive worker protections to be trotted out you know the like laboratory of democracy this is a place where i think the obama administration made you know a lot of new requirements that don't apply to all employers it's just a condition hey if you want to do business with the federal government you have to do xyz and you know it's as many as 25% of large large companies not all companies obviously and so you could you could potentially see that the ofccp implementing some requirements like this when i say requirements i mean i think the starting point is is notice a notice requirements so what can the average worker do to protect his or her own workplace rights the starting point is to be aware that this could be happening without what even though you didn't realize it probably is happening to some extent and really the number one thing you can do and i and i think this is i think this is really challenging in our day and age but the number one thing americans can do is try to separate their personal life from the workplace activities with different devices and computers in other words have a personal phone and a work phone have a personal laptop and a work laptop and don't you know never the twain shall meet if you only use your personal email on your personal device they're never the the big brother's never going to get access to that and i'm i'm a terrible offender in this regard so do as i say and not as i do which is i use my work email for all kinds of things you know to book airline personal airline tickets or whatever or you know memberships and stuff and i'm in a small firm and i'm a part owner but it's still it's not the best practice you should use your personal gmail account for any non-work related activity and you should surf the net on your own device and i understand it might mean that you have to lug around two laptops and two phones but that's the only way to really protect your privacy and like i said i appreciate that it's challenging but i think that there really needs to be more attention to this you you really it, you do yourself a favor by keeping your personal activity on your personal systems and devices as i said for example if your employer's storing stuff and they have a data breach you know you won't be part of it or if you get sued or you sue them and they want to dig through your stuff they're not going to find any personal stuff i mean there's really a lot of reasons to keep it separate and you know obviously if you leave, change employers you don't have to change your email address so that's the number one thing is i'd say you know a be aware but b just try to keep a distinction a boundary between your personal life and work life in terms of what what devices and systems you use and i get it it's it's just it's so blurred right now you get on the internet for work purposes and you might see something and click on it and get you know go off in a different direction but that's that's my number one recommendation are there any lessons from other places such as the european union in terms of how it or its member countries are handling these types of workplace issues Europe has always been 
ahead of the United States in online on, with regard to privacy, online privacy, privacy rights. And I think they're more apt to consider laws that you know involve a little more social engineering. And for example, I I, I can't remember if it was Germany or France that said you you know can't be required to check your email after six p.m. And you know you have a right to be forgotten on the internet. I mean, there's a lot of protections in the is the GPDR in the in, in the U, EU and the UK now is not I guess technically a part of the EU, but but there are there's a lot of interest in in the UK on this particular issue, and I believe the Labour Party is looking at legislation. So I I do hope, I guess I would say, that we can find some solutions, some innovations in terms of policy from you know the other side of the Atlantic. But you know, at the end of the day, you'd still run into this reality that a company or enterprise, if they own the computer, they have a right, and in some, in many situations, and even an obligation to know what's being done with their computers and their systems. So, it's it's not an there's no magic bullet. I don't think from you know from a policy standpoint that I've that I would have come across either in Europe or or elsewhere in the states. The the simple thing. The low-hanging fruit is just to require notice and transparency, and I just think that goes a long way. And at, a, at least, and I appreciate that not all employees have their you know ability to say no to a job, but at least it does give some agency, you know, as in choice for an employee to say, you know, I'm not sure I want to work at this particular Orwellian, you know, enterprise now that I know all the tracking they're going to do. And so I, I really think notice is the, is the number one thing we should focus on from a policy standpoint. I, I, you know, I saw in your blog post that you talked about retention of data, and I think that's, I think that's a great, I think that's very important as well. I, I would say as a lawyer, having a limitation on the length of time that data is stored can be can you can run into problems with potential litigation and you have to sometimes hold stuff for you know two or six years before the statute of limitations runs out and so you know that's a factor i think that more important than the length of time perhaps is is just making sure that companies have safeguards on external breaches and if i can there's the companies from the company standpoint they should have a clear policy and you know, be careful about sort of middle managers, like the guy who worked in this, the, the, the regional manager for the store, who access information not for proper means. They have the ability and authority to access information, but they're not doing it for security or productivity. They're looking at it for prurient reasons or gossip reasons. And that has to be dealt with severely. And I call that. I mean, I didn't come up with it, but monitoring the monitors, you don't want it to be like the East German police where everyone's spying on each other or sharing information. And you don't want middle management or, you know, employers who have employees who have access to this data to share it either within the company or on the Internet. 
And that's where you might get into an intrusion upon seclusion or publication of private facts, common law claim that an employee could sue out. It's a fascinating corner of technology and law. And I think, you know, a lot of listeners might be aware that there are as few restrictions as there are. Those are all important points, and we really appreciate you uh, taking the time. I want to thank John Ella for sharing his thoughts with us about workplace surveillance. At Brookings, we write regularly on a wide range of topics related to digital technology. You can find more information on our Brookings Tech Tank blog located at brookings.edu. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Tech Tank a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.